please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's our third resurrection sermon. Um, I was not here last week. We had Easter and the week before that, and this is the third and final sermon about the resurrection. Um, just to remind you a little bit about what's going on in Corinth, I, I do, I think, almost every week try to update us on what's happening, but Corinth is a very young church, 100 years old, and a very thriving church. Rome allowed the resettlement of Corinth sort of to get rid of people in a way, like, hey, here are the people that want to go start things that aren't truly Roman citizens. And so it was kind of a boom town. And along with that, you got a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions, a lot of different economic situations, and it made a very big mess. And so Paul was there for 18 months when he planted the church, and he left uh, and they continued correspondence. And this letter uh, begins with the cross. Remember, it begins with Paul reminding them of the cross. That, that don't forget Jesus crucified. And here we are at the very, very end of the letter, and Paul is saying, don't forget the resurrection. And so I would argue that all of the mess in between is because they did that and because we do that. We forget the importance of the death and resurrection of Christ. We don't align ourselves with his resurrection. So this morning, I really hope that we dig into that. That makes more sense, and I hope we grow from that reality. So, starting in verse 35. Also, let me remind you of one other thing. Verses 1 to 11, Paul says a statement about Jesus' resurrection that they agreed with. They believed Jesus was raised from the dead. But starting in verse 12 through 34, Paul addresses the fact that they don't grasp that they themselves will also be raised from the dead. And so here we are in 35, he's continuing that as he closes out the chapter. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. They are heaven, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one, excuse me, the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. <clears throat> For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a living spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven, and as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have our minds going a million directions. A lot of things even our hearts are tugged toward. Lord, we believe, but as we just sang, help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, attend to this moment that we would focus, that your Spirit would open our eyes, that we would better understand what Paul is teaching about the resurrection and our connection to it. Father, I pray that you would keep away our own unbelief or Satan's schemes where we might just think it's too difficult or lofty. Help us trust that we can understand this because of you. We love you, Lord. Amen. One of the uh, helps for me as I came to this sermon in this week was Francis Schaeffer. Uh, Originally, I was going to ask Abby to read it. She couldn't be here, but that's Francis Schaeffer's granddaughter. I just thought, what better way to keep talking about that? Um, Schaeffer wrote a great book. I highly recommend it called True Spirituality. And in this work, he spends the first several chapters on a concept called active passivity. And in chapter 4, he really deals with the resurrection. And this idea of active passivity is that the Christian life before, between Christ's resurrection and ascension and before he returns is both active, but it's passive. And it's a very hard thing I hope to unpack a little bit throughout this discussion. Um, but we sort of see it in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, what you don't want is to be either completely active or completely passive, right? The Corinthians are in a back-and-forth letter-writing thing, duel or match with Paul, and they've written him a letter, and they have some questions. And Paul writes this letter back. And it's chapter 7 where he finally says, Now, to the matters you've asked. So for seven chapters, six chapters, he's been talking about other things. And what you find is they asked a few questions where they felt they were very active. Um, For example, tell us about marriage. How do we do that? Or can't we have... uh, can't we have food that's been sacrificed to idols? They asked that question. They asked um, questions about spiritual gifts. We're really, really good in this area. Can't we do this well? And will you just give us information? So those are their active moments. And Paul, in each of those situations, has to let them know, you're not trusting Jesus. He's not driving these things. And then they have these other areas that Paul has to bring up. It's been reported among you 
There are divisions. I mean, they didn't even mention that. They're passive. They, they don't even realize this is true of them. And Paul's like, do you understand that that can't go on? That's not resting in Christ? Um, they are passive in, um, oh, well, I thought I'd remember just beautifully, and then I looked at your faces, and my brain uh, disappears. They are passive in understanding Paul's role as an apostle. They don't grasp that. They are passive in their view of marriage. Like, they actually don't think they should be having sexual relationships in marriage. Paul has to confront them on that. Um, they are passive in the, probably the most notable way. They probably think they're doing a great job with it, but Paul's like, you missed everything, the Lord's Supper, right? And so the point is, Paul is saying, uh, in some ways, he's taking that concept and saying, we are living out of our flesh when we're either completely passive in an area or completely active, and somehow the Christian life has to unite those. And that's what we're going to look at. How does the resurrection bring together active passivity? If that doesn't make sense to you, and you're like, where is this language coming from? Blame Francis Schaeffer. Okay, if you email me, I'll just tell the Francis Schaeffer Institute he could have done better. Okay. So how does the resurrection bring to light these things? What, what's going on in this idea of the resurrection? Uh, that how do you become actively passive in the resurrection, or maybe said another way, how is it active passivity? Okay, we'll try our best. Paul opens up this passage by saying, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And you've all heard there are no stupid questions. For Paul, that was a stupid question. You foolish person! Uh, most scholars don't think there was an actual person uh, who was saying this, but rather it was a tendency of the entire church and with various potential mess-ups in their theology. The point is, they don't grasp that someday, one day, someday, the church would be raised in a physical reality. That's not what's driving them. And so Paul's explaining, that's everything. That's the point. So if your Christianity exists, not just them, but us, where that's sort of a distant thought, red alert, right? There's a problem. So there is a resurrection. Um, we see this, by the way, not just starting around the time of Jesus or Paul, but even in the Old Testament, in Job, uh, in one of his laments, he says, So a man lies down and rises not again, till the heavens are no more. He will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be passed, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. 2,000 years before Jesus. Also another man, uh, Abraham. Abraham, we know the story, is to sacrifice Isaac. And as he's about to do it with the knife, the angel stops him. And in Hebrews 11, we are told it was by faith that he reasoned that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. There's that concept permeating there. Daniel 12, later in the Old Testament. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn, many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. And so Paul, of course, fully aware of the resurrection, picks up on the reality 
and it has some interesting language. I just want to mention to unpack it for us for a few moments. When he compares different flesh, what's going on there? Paul is explaining that just like you have an animal and a human, one's clearly greater, that in, in, in heaven you can have a full body. So I think their struggle is how do you have flesh and blood on earth where we're fallen and, and then in heaven also have flesh and blood? Right? That just seems strange. Like, if one's bad here, how can that be good? And so Paul's just using these metaphors to say, here are two types of flesh, but one's better. He does the same thing with uh, the stars and the moons. He says, look, the sun is better than the moon. It's, it's got, it originates the power and it originates the starness of it. The moon just sits there and reflects it. He also says there are some stars in heaven that are more glorious than other stars. So the idea... That one day, someday, the church, you and me, will have a body that is um, both flesh and not fallen is important. Does that drive, does that cross your mind? Do you look in the mirror, as I want to do, because I'm 41, almost 42, that was a rhyme, you can write that down. I'm going to rhyme the rest of the sermon. And I see more wrinkles. I smile and I see even more wrinkles. What do you do when that happens? You know what? I'm going to be active. Cream. I do the opposite. I'm passive. I'm like, I don't want to have to, like, every time I go to bed, now put cream on. I'll forget, so I'm passive. Right? Here's what active passivity looks like. One day, someday, I'll have a new body that won't hurt and won't be broken and won't be able to not leave a house to come worship every week as Aaron prays. Is that your hope? Do you long for the, for the future? Do you long for heaven? There's a glimpse of this in, the, in Mark chapter 9 in the transfiguration. Most of you know the story. Uh, Jesus goes up the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as they head up, they get to a place, and all of a sudden, you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured. What does that look like? I don't know. But here's what I do know. Peter's thought, Peter thought to himself, we need to build these kind of like tent structures to put over each of these figures because we are now in heaven. Like, this is it. We're going to just come and worship. We'll go back down the mountain, tell everybody this is the new Jerusalem. This is how glorious this looked. Like, all he knew was we're going to worship. It was just a glimpse, right? Uh, One of the downsides of the Star Wars like trilogy plus other, like six plus eight plus 20, is that every time there's a new one coming out, what, is, what happens? What does Coleman tell me? Dad, did you see the new trailer? And they see it on the internet, all my Star Wars friends, you know, did you see the new YouTube trailer? And they, they watch the trailer. You all, who raise your hand if you watch the Star Wars trailer or whatever series is out? And then they start guessing. You know, I think... That guy's going to be good, and this guy's going to end up being bad, and somehow that person returns. The transfiguration is a trailer, right? It's a glimpse. It says, look, this is glorious. And I can't tell you what heaven's going to look like, but you're going to feel like Peter and just want to worship all the time. It's going to be amazing. When I was uh, 10 or 11, I went skiing for the first time. And we went to New Mexico. If you've ever gone to New Mexico skiing as, with a child's brain, it's confusing to you because you come into it. We went to Santa Fe, 
and I'm in a desert. There's no snow. It's like, there's no mountains. Oh, no, no, like, we're going to go up the mountain tomorrow. We get in a car, and we do the switchback driving up to something like Mount something. And you finally get to the snow, and you finally realize, oh, I'm on a mountain now. I'm like on an actual mountain. And I tried to learn to ski. My dad just took me up and said, go down the, that trail. That's a blue. And I just kind of tumble, get up, tumble. We drove home after that first day, and the discussion became about one of my favorite places on earth, Crested Butte. See, at the time, my aunt lived in Crested Butte. But we were in New Mexico without my aunt. And so my dad and uncle were saying, let's go to Crested Butte like next year. And they started describing it. And I remember, I still remember how it felt. Like it was going to be amazing. But do you know what images I had in my head? They kept saying, well, it's in the mountains. I was just on like a mountain today. How is there a town in mountains? Like I couldn't, is it on the edge of it? Like one of those weird looking villages in Switzerland? where everyone wants to get. So I, I both had wrong ideas, but I felt like it was going to be amazing. Okay? Does that make sense? Well, then we went to Crested Butte. Oh, man. I mean, we went there for years. My grandparents ended up living in Crested Butte. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, there's your bike. Do whatever you want. My brother and my cousin and I would just go wherever we wanted. Um, we were there more in summer than we were in winter. Uh, but it was nothing like what I imagined at all. But it felt the same. Does that make sense? I, I still, when I think about actual Crested Butte and imagined Crested Butte, they have a lot of overlap in feeling. So it doesn't matter that you can't fully picture heaven. It's going to be amazing. And you are going to have a new body and there will be no more pain and no more stings of death. And that is what you are longing for. And the question is, is that what drives you now? in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I'm going to just answer for you, if I may. Probably not. Right? What do we do? How do we answer when pains show up, when problems arise, when longings emerge? We start thinking about how we can solve them, what steps we can take, what we can do. And that's not all wrong, but Jesus is saying, start with the end. Long for the resurrection. Know that, he says in verse uh, 51, the mystery. Not all will sleep, but all will be changed. In a moment, in the can you imagine in the twinkling of an eye, you're worried about something, you're walking around, and you have a new body. And heaven is now with us. I mean, can you imagine? Does that ever cross? Do you think about that? Does that drive you? Do you want that? Uh, if not, I think we're caught up in the ways of this world, and I know we struggle with that. So I guess the question is now, how do we bring that longing into the now, right? Uh, how do we bring our longing for heaven into the present, okay? And I want to just point out a few things from our passage. Um, one of the, actually, I'm going to, uh, one of the things that, w that we're missing from heaven is the connection to the church, right? Like, right now, there are people in heaven, and right now, there are those of us on earth, and there just feels like a disconnect. Sometimes we say nice things like, I can't wait to see them again, or they're golfing. We kind of have that language. But the Bible teaches 
that were actually, in many ways, very much connected. Listen to what, what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. But you, Christian, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the saints. Right In chapter 11, before this ch- chapter we're reading now, Paul talks about the hall of the saints, those who had come before us. Not Paul, the writer of Hebrews. You be the judge. Uh, and so the point that he, the Hebrew writer is telling us is this, that right now, doing this kind of mundane thing in a mundane room that, makes, that feels archaic, we are connected to the saints. And they care what we're doing. Like the, there's a connection. So when the transfiguration happens and Elijah and Moses show up, they were not like, what are we going to do? We're about to go to the, do what? Go to earth and do this thing? They were fully aware and engaged in what was happening with the church on earth. And right now the saints are longing and caring for what we're doing, and we're connected to them as we walk with Christ. There's a connection there. So that's one of the connections to heaven. But heaven also informs our daily lives, and we see that in our passage most clearly at the very end where Paul says, verse 58, Therefore, in light of all that I've just said, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, present tense, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what, how do we have this active passivity in our present life now? How do we have heaven inform us today, and what does that look like? Well, I've probably talked about it a lot, but I don't know that it sinks in even in my own soul. Every time I come back to it, it revives me. But in Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I live in this body, I live by faith. Faith in what? The Son of God. The faith that one day, someday, there's a resurrection. Right? One, in one place where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the next letter to the Corinthians, he says, um, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So there's this reality right now that you have died and raised with Christ. Okay? That reality exists right now. Uh, look at verse um, 36. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel. And so that's the truth of our body, but it's really true also of our spirit, that is our flesh. We have to die in Christ that we be, are raised with Christ. And of course we see that in verse 56 we talked about last time as well, where it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And so here's how I want to bring this to, to kind of a head for this this morning. We live with either an operating language of the flesh or of heaven. Does that make, when you have a computer system, it's useless until you give it a language, an operating system. So our body is the hardware. What is your operating system? I hope it's not a PC. Sorry. Just joking. It can be a PC. It's not Linux. I don't know. I'm really not a computer guy. Is it the law? The law of, of sin and death or the law of Christ? What is moving you? What is your, 
What is it that drives you? Listen to some of these verses. Um, this idea of the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Many scholars say, this is Paul in shorthand, in like one phrase, encapsulating Romans like 5 through 8. So I want to remind you of some of the verses we get in Romans 5 through 8. In 6.11 it says, So you all also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the way, that's the new language. That's the way you're to see yourself. Going backwards to 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 7, Paul, the very famous place where he unpacks the law, he says the law is not a problem. The law is beautiful. I'm the problem. And in verse 24 of chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. How do you serve the law of sin with your flesh? What is probably the number one thing you, on a moment-by-moment basis, struggle with? Most of us think of like, oh, I'm a bad sinner, I do these things. True, many of you do, most of you, all of us do things that are bad. But the biggest thing you do is you feel condemned. You feel the shame of being fallen. That is the biggest evidence of your unbelief. Is the sense in which I'm not okay. Anyone want to raise your hand if you feel that way? Is that me making that up or does Paul see that as well? Listen to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The person who's living here in this life and not thinking about heaven, even if you're a Christian, you're living according to the operating language, operating system of the fallen world. How do I look? How do I feel? How do others respond to me? Did I get a laugh? Are people taking me seriously? How did that that comment just completely undid me? I became melted by an email, right? Anyone experience any of those things? And Paul is saying, when you see yourself in Christ, that's not going to be the case. Uh, Let me just try and make that a little bit more personal, just make you more uncomfortable. One of the hardest and craziest, and I do this from time to time, maybe I've done this too much, but preaching, like, preaching is so strange, because I get up here and I want to tell you all about Jesus, but I really care what you think, you know? The problem when I say that is everyone comes up afterwards and goes, hey, I know you don't care. Good job. You know. I mean, I first heard this with Dan Iverson, our team leader in Japan, when he came to Covenant Seminary and preached the chapel. And I mean, as a student, you're like, wow, we're at chapel with the professors. And here's this guy, Dan Iverson. Um, and he's just up there and he goes, I'll be honest, I confess, this is hard. I want you to like me. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's why I love Dan Iverson. Um, he just, he was so, and he is so authentic and real with the fact that we are people who are longing to win over other people actively. And yet the gospel says, no, be passive. Rest in Christ. That's your only identity. What would it look like if even for an hour in public or at a meeting or somewhere with stressful, a sermon You did not care what others thought of you. Yet, you cared what Jesus thought of you. Which, by the way, is what? He adores you. 
you are in Christ, He loves you. You are His. He holds you. There's no, the, law, the language has shifted. Do you hear that? The la- I want you to know that our whole world, I don't care if it's atheists or pseudo-religious or Christians, operate with the other language. Six steps to happiness. Five steps to losing the belly fat. Fourteen steps to neck things going away. If you just click on that video, you'll learn how to achieve more. Yeah, I want to achieve more. What am I after? What are we after? We want to feel the pleasure of God, and we are so worried about people liking us. And we act like that. We're, no, we just want to be successful and good at our job. And No, we don't. That's not what you're after. You're after something far deeper than that. And that is the language of death. And Paul is saying, you are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. You are not to live according to the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. You have already been raised from the dead. So what does active passivity mean? What does that mean? Um, how would you possibly live this out? One of the illustrations that Schaefer loves is the story of Mary being told that she was going to carry the child, Jesus, by the angel, Gabriel. And her response is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Passive. Right? Just let it, let it be. Yeah, do you know how active that was? The other day I was watching Jeopardy, and there was a, one woman contestant in the middle, and they do the interview, and she said, Yeah, here are the names of my kids, and they were odd names. And she said, I got to name my kids because I did all the work. And, you know, you, yeah, I mean, you carried the baby, you had the baby. I mean, where's, the guy didn't do anything. Yet we hear about Mary, and you go, well, she didn't have to do anything. Do you see the difference? Carrying the baby is a lot of work. Having the baby, trust me, I'd, don't trust me. Ask people who've had babies. I've heard the yelling <laughs> or the calling out for more drugs. I've been reading a book this week called The Body Keeps the Score. It's not a Christian book talking about trauma. And in this book, the author, and there are quite a few professionals now who realize that even before memory is developed, your body is developing memory. And so people with trauma, and all of us have some trauma, uh, really at an early age, one of the number one things you need is what's called attunement from the mother to the child. And, And when there's a lack of that, even if, well, they won't remember, don't worry. You know, when they're threes, when memory starts or four, so they're fine, don't worry about what happens to them. That's kind of the normal talk now. Actually, those first three years are pivotal for the development of a child. Have any of you ever heard of this concept? God took, God took, and, and the difficulty in parenting doesn't just end when they're infants. Sorry. God took his son, Jesus, and put him in the womb of a teenage girl to be carried for nine months, but to be born and to be coddled with shame. People scorned her. They didn't just end the day the baby was born, Jesus. And she had to hold him and coo and love him and cherish him and change his diapers. She was active. Does that make sense? She was active in her passivity. May it be as I, I'm the servant of the Lord. May it be. When 
I want you to know in our lives, we are constantly given the opportunity because of the Spirit dwelling in us to be passive and yet active, simply by following the Spirit. Watch for signs that you're not doing that. Your body will tell you. Your blood pressure rises. You get angry. You feel condemned. Right? I was walking down the hall, and there's a poster of moods. Elementary schools get this. Um, by the time you're in middle school and junior high and on up, they quit talking about it. But elementary like, what's your mood? Check in with yourself. How are you feeling? Well, Paul sort of does that in Galatians with the deeds of the flesh. But sort of like, when you feel angry or jealousy, when these emotions and feelings are dominating, you're not living out of the Spirit. When you're not filled with joy, you don't believe the resurrection right then. You're still going to heaven. That's the good news. I'm not trying to, this is for Christians. But as a Christian, I can be going to heaven and living like I'm going to hell. And that's what we're talking about. God has provided a way right now in this life through his spirit to live out the resurrection. But you're going to have to die to all of those things that take you away from Jesus and live to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we long for the future heaven, our home. We don't know what it looks like. Our imagination gives us some glimpse. But we know what it might feel like. And we know what elements of this world that we want to see erased. The sting of death, Lord, the tears, the brokenness, the heartache, the grief. And Lord, we want to see you face to face. And we praise you. Jesus, that you sent your spirit, the counselor, to guide us as we wait for heaven to come, as we wait for you. Lord, there may be people in our midst who will never taste death. You promise that someone, somewhere, someday will be walking and within a twinkling of an eye, step into their heavenly body. For others, Lord, of us, we will die. We will, go, we will fall asleep as we long for heaven. But we will be with you immediately in eternity. And yet, Lord, as we live out this life right now, I pray we would live passively, resting in you, leading to activeness of our life. Fruit of the Spirit, Lord. Repentance. Healing of relationships. Reading your scriptures. All the things that just draw us to you in your bosom. Forgive us for our unbelief. Give us deeper belief. Amen.